Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Oh my goodness, that's right. It is the Hot Stove Show. It is, dare I say, the final episode of the Hot Stove Show in 2024. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, glad to be with you tonight. Gary, this is this is it. This better be a good one. We're going out tonight. I know. It's, it. it's really important that this one's great. I, I'm crying. There's tears, but they're happy tears because we move on to the Cactus League report after this in spring training. It is shocking how similar the Cactus League report is <laughs> to the Hot Stove Show. Yes. Just uh, rebranded. Different name. Different That's name. It. Different yeah. name. A little all. shorter. Different name. Yeah. Uh, the good news. Still with us. The hot... Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, the good news with the Hot Stove Show, pardon me, with the Cactus League report is that that means that Mariners baseball is being played yeah. in the Valley. So we are getting that much closer. It's actually been a really fun series of hot stove shows which for a while there as we all know and as we talked about in our first episode way back when we didn't know exactly what we'd be talking about for the next month or so but man the mariners have made so many moves we've had so many new people to talk to that have joined the organization and even some guys who've been around maybe for a little bit Uh, tonight we will talk to one of the ultimate behind the scenes guys for the mariners his name is Rob Scheidegger. He's the VP of High Performance and Medical for the Mariners, which is a really fancified way of saying he oversees everything medical related with the M's and so much more. When you say, oh, yeah. it's it's a ton too, because I feel like from the outside, you see the athletic trainers on the field once in a while if somebody's banged up, and that's basically the only public view of what fans see. There is so much that goes on behind the scenes and the Mariners really invested into the health side. And it's, it's, it's great as we get a a really inside look at everything that goes on with the Mariners behind the scenes. Yeah. Rob, a a local guy originally from Yakima spent almost 20 years at UW was a head football trainer among other things uh, for the Huskies. Just a great story. Ryan bliss joins the program tonight. Kind of the forgotten about guy. In the deal last summer with Arizona, Paul Seawall deal, the Ryan Bliss, a former high draft pick by Arizona and a middle infielder, shortstop, second base, played a lot of second base last year once he joined the Mariners organization. Uh, this is one of my favorite interviews we've had mm. all winter. Fabulous. It is <laughs> fabulous. It's great to get to know him too. Played AAA last year with Tacoma after the trade. I mean, it would not be a shock at some point this year to see him in a Mariners uniform helping out too. So it's good to get to know him. 
Wonderful, wonderful conversation yeah. with Mariners infield prospect Ryan Bliss. It's the Trent Show. Both Trents. We've got Mitch's in the organization. Uh-huh. We've got Trents. We've got Trent Blank, the Mariners director of pitching strategy, and Trent Thornton, he of the sweeper out of the Mariners bullpen. Uh, very appropriate, those two guys, back-to-back on the program, Gary. It was on purpose. Yeah, we're closing with the Trents. Trent Blank, who was at one point the Mariners' bullpen coach, has elevated his way up within the organization and is one of the great masterminds behind the Mariners' pitching uh, fish tank of just all the information and all the talent. It's always just such a treat to talk pitching with him. He's on the, such the forefront of everything. And Trent Thornton, who joined the Mariners midstream last year, we didn't get a chance to talk to Trent a whole lot last season. What a joy. He has such a unique perspective since he is still kind of fresh to the organization. Mm-hmm. He had some kind of some uh, new eyes to take a look at how the Mariners do things on the pitching front and just a really fun talk. Yeah, great conversation. And yeah, he could certainly be, we always talk about who's next, who's next when it comes to guys out of the bullpen. And he is certainly a candidate to step into, I think, a larger role at the back end of the bullpen. But yeah, the conversation is super fun. Funny Chiro story from Trent Thornton. Yeah, as yeah. Well. All that is coming up when we return. Mariners reliever Trent Thornton joins us. It's the Hot Stove Show. Back in just a moment. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Thornton from the belt and the one-two on the way. Swing and a miss. Strike three. And it's over. The Mariners win it. A final score of 9-2 to two over the Orioles. Glad you're with us tonight. It is the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill joined Right now by Mariners reliever Trent Thornton. Trent, it's great to be with you. Thanks for hopping on the phone with us tonight. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, you are going into your first full campaign in a Mariners uniform, your first Peoria spring training. Let's uh, first talk a little bit about the offseason. It might be kind of ho-hum and routine for you, but we don't know what your offseason is like year to year. So tell us, where do you train? What do you do? Who do you work with? The whole thing. Yeah. Um, so this off season, I was working out at tread in Charlotte. I'm actually from Charlotte. So it's like 10 minutes from my house. So it's pretty convenient. Um, but there's a good group of guys, um, around the league that work out in there as well. I like catch with Dane Dunning a good bit. Jack, actually Jackson Coar was in there as well. Um, so got to familiarize myself with a new teammate. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, spent the whole off season working out there for the most part and, um, kind of, started tinkering with a new pitch. Don't want to necessarily divulge that information, but I think it'll be a, uh, a, a big help to say the least. No knuckleball, I assume. <laughs> no, 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 not, not that, not that. <laughs> Trent, you know, we, we talked with, was it, was it Spire? That, yes. Yeah. You know, we talked to Spire last week. Apparently this hasn't filtered through the bullpen yet. Trent, the only purpose for this show is for, <laughs> For pitchers to come on and tell us their new pitches. We just, we, we literally just fill time until one of you guys does that. So, but you don't want to, you're just going to wait, just wait until we start seeing something funky and then we'll ask you then about it. I mean, I guess it, I, I started working on a splitter. Nice. That wasn't hard. So, was it Trent? It's a no, circle of trust. No, no. Circle of trust. Yeah. They're going to, hitters are going to have to wait to see it anyway. So now is the splitter the new thing? Is everybody showing up with a splitter now? I mean, I feel like you, your sweeper, your splitter, your sinkers are coming back. I mean, baseball kind of is very cyclical. So as soon as hitters make an adjustment, pitchers have to make an adjustment, and the wheel just keeps spinning. 
How do you feel about your sweeper right now? Really good. Um, yeah. You know, that was pretty locked in all off season. Um, you know, I've had one live um, so far out in spring training, which threw a ton of those and got some really nice results. Uh, so I feel like that's in a pretty good spot right now. We're talking with Mariners reliever Trent Thornton. If you played word association with every player on the 26-man roster and somebody said Trent Thornton, I would say sweeper. Like that would be the, the very first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> so with, with that, with that front and center, walk us through the timeline of that pitch and your development with it, because it, I'm guessing you didn't always have it. How did it come about and how have you continued to fine tune it? In 2022 in spring training with the Blue Jays, um, one of the pitching coaches uh, was like, Hey man, you know, there's been a lot of buzz about this pitch that, you know, certain guys are able to throw just flip a couple to me and let's see what happens. And my like horizontal break on it was really, really good. And he's like, all right, we're going to take that pitch. We're going to use it all season and just get it locked in. And then by 2023, like I felt really, really consistent with that pitch. And I was getting like, you know, negative 18 to 24 horizontal break on it. So just kind of one of those pitches where I feel like I've always been able to spin the ball pretty good. And that one just kind of, came pretty natural so you're you're a nerd you're you're a nerd trent uh, yeah yeah that, that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would definitely agree with that we see you throw the sweeper often you're a right-handed pitcher often against right-handed hitters how difficult is that pitch for a righty to throw to a lefty um it is difficult because of how big the break is and like if you start that on the outer third it's going to break back over the plate and you know kind of right into a lefty's wheelhouse so you have to be kind of fine where you're trying to go with that pitch um i don't necessarily want to say what i try to do every time with that to lefties but you have just a little bit less room for error against lefties you've already given up one secret so we won't have you yeah, up no, we, so we, don't we aim we aim to get every guest to divulge something and <laughs> we honestly trent we just keep we just keep them here until it happens so <laughs> you did you did yourself a big favor good on you word, word has gotten out of our of our 81 minute interviews until somebody cracks <laughs> the sweeper from the time you started throwing it a couple of spring trainings ago to now where it's become a bread and butter pitch is it just a matter I mean, I say just, and I'm not trying to over, oversimplify it at all, but is the most difficult challenge to mastering that pitch just learning how to control the enormous amount of break? Is that is that the most difficult thing? Yeah, because um, early on, it's hard to get that consistent sweep action, like that horizontal action where like I would throw some that were massive and some that were short, and I didn't know why. And it was kind of like perfecting the grip at first and then knowing – all right, this is what you're averaging with that sweep and then where you can start it to where you want it to end. And once I kind of got comfortable with that and the execution of it, it was like, all right, I can put this pretty close to where I want more times than not. And that was the biggest part of that pitch. So once I did that, it was working really well. How much have you changed since you joined the Mariners? Like what is different for you as a pitcher? It's not necessarily like repertoire or anything. It's mm -hmm. more... You know, the, the coaches with Seattle do a phenomenal job of like building confidence and showing that they believe in you. And I mean, everyone in the, at the big league level has the stuff to be successful. It's mostly between the ears. 
and just having your pitching coaches, you know, really investing in you and your success was really nice. And obviously they like what they saw in my repertoire, what I do good, they enforce that. And, you know, there's a big emphasis on doing the things that you do well, which I just kind of picked up, you know, throwing more sweepers and developing a sinker and stuff like that, where it just helped me on the day to day of just going out there and being confident in myself. We saw you interviewed after a game last year and you had on a really nice collar shirt, Trent, you had, you had the glasses on and we're sitting up there in the booth and we're like, is Trent Thornton a Google executive? <laughs> like, I get a you, I get a finance guy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is there do you have we've already you've already divulged your nerdy side to pitching? Like, is there a like a spreadsheet side of Trent Thornton? I mean, I would definitely say I'm I'm very well organized. Um, I wouldn't go as far as like OCD, but I'm a very clean, organized person. You know, I feel like when you're in the big leagues, you gotta you know, collared shirt, buttoned down. You know, you got to look good too. I just might look a little nerdier. <laughs> I have a soft spot in my heart for spectacled pitchers. Like, I love Kenta Colve. I, I went <laughs> as Kenta Colve for Halloween one year. Like, Tom Hankey was the greatest. Yep. Do you have a spectacled pitcher that you looked up to? To be completely honest, um, no, just because I didn't start wearing glasses until 2017, where I started not being able to see signs at night and I started crossing catchers up and it got kind of ugly. Um, and contacts for some reason just dry my eyes out. So I always wear glasses 24 7 now. Um, but no, I never really, I never really had a, a my favorite pitcher ever was Roy Halladay. So he definitely didn't wear glasses. I mean, that must have been awesome in Toronto. Is there, was there any, I don't know any Roy anything while you were there that you got to experience, uh, what, whether it be kind of legendary stories from people who knew him. Uh, was there any any connection there you were able to make? Yeah, I mean, um, when I got traded over there in eighteen, um, you just hear of you know uh, like Pat Henkin. Um, geez, I mean, there was so many different guys that played with him that would tell stories about him and just the fierce competitor he was and the good teammate he was. You know, just a leader. Um, so it was really cool for like, for one of my birthdays, uh, the blue Jays actually got me like a sign thing from Roy Halliday that I, I still have. And like, they gave me one of his jerseys. So it was, it was pretty neat. A brash is a big holiday guy as well, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, obviously a native son of the land. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, was it a sign, sign, sign ball, sign Jersey? What are we talking about? It was, it was like a big signed blow up picture of him. Um, and then they gave me a Jersey as well. Uh, so that was definitely going to keep that forever. We're talking with Mariners reliever, Trent Thornton. Uh, everybody's down by now in Peoria. There was a Savannah's bananas game that took place over at Peoria stadium. You were there. What do you got on the bananas? Give us the scouting report for those of us who haven't seen it in person. It is a terrific show, I would say. Um, there's a lot of dancing, um, you know, pretty pretty decent caliber baseball, but they do such a good job of keeping the crowd entertained with the, the music they play the whole time, the dances they do, you know, the trick plays and everything. Like, especially if you have little kids, like, 
it would be a ton of fun to go to one of those games because the little kids were loving it. Which Mariners reliever would be the best throwing off of 10 foot stilts? <laughs> oh, geez. Um, that's a great question. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Spire. I, I think he's pretty athletic. I think mm -hmm. he might be able to do it. I gotta say, I don't know how you would even come up with that name, but that's. <laughs> <laughs> but Spire Spire seems like a solid choice. Yep, yep. He is Mariners reliever Trent Thornton. We have more with Trent when we come back right here on the Hot Stove Show. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. The 0-2 on the way to Vinny. Swing and a miss for strike three. And the ball game is over. Thornton strikes out the side. The Mariners win it. Welcome back with us on the Hot Stove. Spring training games starting this weekend. That means regular season games here soon. Mariners opening series starting March 28th. A four-game series against the Red Sox at T-Mobile Park. You get your tickets at Mariners.com. Shannon Dreher down in Peoria right now. You can follow along all the news at SeattleSports.com. She has a nice story up on Julio that you don't want to miss. In the meantime, we continue our conversation with Mariners reliever Trent Thornton. And Trent, uh, we know in baseball games things can get strange sometimes and you might need an extra hitter along the way. Have you told Scott Service that you're the all-time leader in batting average at North Carolina? No, I, I haven't, but I should. I feel like I could use an A-B every, every once in a while, show, show I'm still athletic. No, serious question, though. You, you went one for one in your career at North Carolina. You are two for three in your major league career with Toronto. Would you prefer to never have another bat just to stay <laughs> three for four in the last decade? <laughs> I mean, it, it'd be hard not to say that. I mean, three for four over the last 10 years is uh, pretty impressive. Um, but it's like, you know, the the competitor to me, you know, let's let's get that fifth at bat. See what happens. I mean, worst comes to worst, I'm hitting career 600. Now, it's unofficial, but we do believe in this case, unofficial means official, that you are the last pitcher in Toronto Blue Jays history to record a hit. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like this deserves the key to the city, a, a Trent Thornton day, possibly? Uh, how how much how much pure trash talk have you dished out to anyone who will listen <laughs> about this? Oh, I mean, to be completely honest, I'm pretty sure everyone over there is very much aware of, of <laughs> my accomplishment, um, <laughs> and they're probably sick of hearing it because I, I I had asked for some abs over the last couple of years, you know, more more in a joking manner. Um, but I was like, Hey, I got the track record to prove it. You know, I get on base. So great. But, do you have, do you have any memorabilia from this historic achievement? Oh, absolutely. What do we have? I'm a bit, I'm, I'm a big memorabilia guy. Um, so, uh, I have the bat that I used for my, my two hits, um, authenticated. It was actually Eric Sogard's bat cause it was the smallest bat in the locker room. <laughs> And I was like, man, I got to be able to get this thing around. I haven't swung a bat, and it was probably seven years at that point. Um, so I have that. I have my first hit ball and my first win ball all from that that day. Yeah, that was all the same game. Yep, yep. Vlad hit two home runs for you. Yeah, I was actually on base for both of them. Oh, that's amazing. They uh, <laughs> The second time, it was getting a little chilly in San Francisco, and the second time, I was uh I was literally got all the way to third base and they stopped the game and my pitching coach 
at the time wanted me to put one of those big jackets on. So I had that yes. huge jacket on just watching Vladdy hit his second home run of the game, just walking in the home. So it was, it was, it was a pretty cool moment. Just the idea of <laughs> so Trent crazy. Thornton and Vlad Jr. Just like double high-fiving outside of home plate <laughs> after Vlad crosses. Just like it was... specs on, puffy jacket for the second one. It's been like, I got you, Vladdy. I got that ribby for you. Well, that, the, the hardest part was like keeping my glasses still while putting the helmet on because I'd never worn like those one flat helmets before either. I mean, it was it was an old whole ordeal. It's so good. Now, honestly, what meant more to you that day? The mm -hmm. dub, your first ever win, or the knocks? So this is this is actually a tough answer for me. Um, I think I had had like six or seven starts before I had gotten my first win and I was kind of getting like irritated. I was like, man, I just I need to get a win. But then to think that I got not one, but two hits in that game, I was like, man, I'm going to have this for the rest of my life. Now, granted, you know, I, I wanted to get that win, but for some reason getting those hits was probably a lot harder than getting a win. Oh yeah. The win is an inevitability, right? I mean, like it's mm -hmm. going to happen The there's, I would not put anything on the hits ever happening. <laughs> I think I was pitcher. up for Silver Slugger that year, too. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's so fantastic. You, memorabilia wise, like what, oh, what else God. are we talking about here? What do you like? Um, so when I was a young guy, still with the Astros, I remember Evan Gaddis telling me, hey, man, like you never know how long you're going to be in this game. Get as much memorabilia. Like if that's something you're into, don't be afraid to ask anybody. The worst thing anyone can say is no. And from that point on, I mean, I probably have 250 signed balls, probably 30 signed bats, and I don't know, probably 15 signed jerseys. Do you go after teammates first, or is this just just go straight yeah. to the other clubhouse? Yeah, I mean, I would say teammates first, and then I kind of branch off from there. But, I mean, I got some, some pretty impressive, especially jersey collection. Yeah, what's your couple of favorites? Let's see. I got uh, Trout, Scherzer, Otani, Verlander, Molina, Cabrera, Grinky, Ichiro, George Brett. That is impressive. I'm I'm, I'm missing a couple too. Was uh, Ichiro, Chipper Jones? Was Ichiro before you were a Mariner or post Mariner? It, it, it actually was, but when I got traded over to Seattle, like every day going on the field, I'm like in awe of just being in his presence. Like he was one of my favorite players, like position players when I was a kid. And it's just like, man, that guy's a legend. Trent, I've tried so hard to explain to people how bizarre Ichiro's existence is with the Mariners. <laughs> like there's no, there's nothing we've ever seen like it before. And there will never be another player like it ever again from mm -hmm. a standpoint of, a first ballot Hall of Famer, a Mount Rushmore player for this particular organization, in this case, the Mariners, who could be anywhere doing anything at any time, and yet he is shagging fly balls at T-Mobile Park on a Tuesday afternoon in mm -hmm. May, right? Yep. Like, from as you were once an outsider who then became on the inside of the Mariners, like, walk us through, as someone who idolized, in this particular case, Ichiro, what it was like for you to witness this Ichiro life up close and personal. Well, I mean, it was literally the, my first game when I got called up to the Mariners 
he was just standing right there in front of the dugout when I'm getting ready to go play catch. And I so badly wanted to introduce myself right away, but I was like, ah, you know, I kind of, let me get my feet wet a little bit and see how things go. And then, you know, when, when I finally introduced myself, he's, Oh, Trent, nice to see you. Like you already knew my name. And I was like, how in the heck is that even possible? I mean, he's the most polite guy. Every time you see him says, hello, how you doing? Asking about yourself. And it's like, he doesn't need to do that stuff. Like it's just really cool to like have a a childhood idol be what you wanted him to be. Mm. And he just sets such a good example of the field every day. I mean, just wants guys to get better and wants us to win. It's fun. Did you actually get to talk with George Brett or was this a send the club over situation? So I actually, I actually did get to talk to him. Um, My dad grew up like a huge Kansas city Royals fan. Um, He's like, man, if you get the opportunity to talk to George Brett, you should do it. And Buck Martinez, who is one of our color guys um, when I was with the blue Jays was, I think he was George Brett might've been his best man at his wedding or something. So I knew him extremely well when they played together. And so Buck Martinez kind of set me up and got to meet him. And it was, it was unbelievable. It was so cool. You mentioned your dad who played at Indiana was quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, you come from a family of football players. Oh, yeah. it, how did the decision come down between baseball and football? <laughs> My size alone. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, not, not a very big guy. And I knew there was no future in it for me. And I, I love baseball a lot more. So it was mm. a pretty easy decision for myself. Hey, so we've got on the Mariners, like everybody's everybody's trying to play the guitar, Trent. I mean, it's just every year the number grows, and just we get off the plane, and it's just half half the traveling party looks like they're going to the CMAs. <laughs> you, it sounds like, have taken a different musical direction. Tell us about the harmonica. So, <laughs> for some reason, I was like, you know what? We're on the road a lot, like something that you could easily put in your backpack and start playing. So I was like, just teaching myself some YouTube videos and kind of caught on pretty quick, actually. Um, started off with some Billy Joel, Piano Man. Mm-hmm. And then uh, once some of my teammates, when I was with the Astros, found out that I could play, um, in my first big league camp, I had to get up in front of everybody and, and play Piano Man, Low Rider, um, you know, some Tom Petty songs. And then I just kind of like stuck to it a little bit. It's not something I you know, play all the time, but you know, if ever I get bored, you know, I'll bring it with me during the season. And more than anything, I would love to look out to the bullpen in the second inning and just <laughs> see you ripping off piano man in the bullpen. That'd be phenomenal. Just getting yelled at by all the guys. Shut <laughs> up. What, uh, what can you drop on a harmonica? What's the range here? I can play, I want to say maybe 10 to 15 songs. Okay. Mostly like eighties type stuff, like play a little ain't no sunshine. Oh um, yes. A little, a little further back, but um, yes. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. A little, little hobby, I guess. Has this has been exposed by the Mariners? Um, not the Mariners, aware? the Astros and Blue Jays were oh, aware. Wow. Trent splitter and harmonica. <laughs> I know you're never, you're never coming back. <laughs> I don't, when, when Trent pitches for the first time in the Cactus League, I don't know what's juicier, the harmonica or the splitter. <laughs> like, where, where do we go? I just, we're gonna have to, I can't wait for a second appearance so we can cover everything. <laughs> just try to jam it all in. Oh, yeah. One question about last year where you're in baseball no man's land, right? After Toronto, and you come over mm-hmm. to the Mariners, and it's like, 
fighting for the playoffs. Every game is big. And you just kind of walk into a situation. Like, what is that like to walk into a clubhouse knowing that situation? Like, how difficult is that? It's a good question. Like, for, for me personally, getting over there, um, you know, you're, you're joining a team that's in the hunt. And that's what baseball is all about, especially that, that time of the year. And like knowing a couple guys that uh, like Teoscar Hernandez and Robbie Ray and stuff where, you know, you come over and get acclimated fairly quickly and then boom, it's August. And it's like the best month in Mariners history. And we're just winning every game. Like that was some of the most fun baseball I've ever played. Like what Julio Rodriguez did that month was incredible. I mean, as a hitter yourself, though, you must be able to see Julio and be like, yeah, I've been like, I've been that locked in. <laughs> I, w- I wish I could say that. <laughs> like, that reminds me of my four at-bats in the big leagues, just stretching <laughs> out over a longer duration of time. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, it was, it was, it was so much fun to get over to a team that was in the hunt. And like, I mean, obviously the one game short, but I mean, the talent is, is there, the work ethic is there coaches are there. I mean, it's, it's a fun organization to be in. So when you look around at this pitching staff, what do you see? How do you, how do you describe what you see from the staff? I mean, you just take the starters alone and it's just absolute workhorses guys with phenomenal stuff, but like they know how to pitch and it's so much fun watching them every single day. And then you look at the bullpen and like every guy's got a little different thing to offer and, this pitching staff is so much fun to watch and so much fun to compete with. It's, it's incredible. The arms that that we have. Well, Trent, this has been a blast, man. It's been a lot of fun and we've learned a ton about you. We really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. That was Mariners reliever Trent Thornton here tonight on the hot stove show. When we come back, we talk more pitching with the other Trent. That's right. Trent blank, the Mariners director of pitching strategy, fun conversation on tap after this quick timeout. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. It's the Hot Stove Show, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And we're joined right now by Trent Blank, the Mariners Director of Pitching Strategy. Trent, it's wonderful to be with you. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. It's it's good to see you guys again. If you went to the winter meetings and somebody from another organization who was trying to develop a pitching culture similar to the Mariners hopped on an elevator with you, Mm-hmm. And you had one elevator ride to describe to this person yeah. the pitching culture and philosophy of the Mariners and what makes it successful. What would you say? Yeah, I think that the answer is not going to change. Um, it's been dominate the zone for the past five years and like everything revolves around it. Um, we had a call the other day just talking about how many like systems and departments work off of the same message of just for the pitching side, it's attacking the zone, right? It's how do we, how do we create not just a strategy, but a mindset that is relentless at just flooding the zone with really good stuff. And ultimately that leads to the best results on the field as well. But like, even like we're, we're inundated with new information this year. We've, we've been diving into biomech. We're trying to connect biomech information to this idea of dominating the zone. Now there's obviously a lot of layers in between, but it's our anchor in almost everything that we do from scouting to what we're doing in the weight room to how they're managing just their time off the field. Like we, we connect everything to this concept and you hear it everywhere in our conversations and any of our resources. It's the first thing we talk about in meetings. It's the last thing we talk about in meetings. 
Um, it's it's very clear what our goal is, and I think that that kind of simplifies things and allows us to work really efficiently and get the most out of our players. You mentioned biomech, and it feels like everything's always changing, always evolving. Is that the next frontier, uh, the evolution of pitching and baseball in general? Yeah. I think some teams are further ahead than others. Um, I think the next frontier is actually how people are utilizing just seam orientation to, to really manipulate the baseball. Um, we're kind of entering this different era with Hawkeye data where we have more information about what the, how the ball is spinning and how the seams are actually oriented. And we've learned a lot this off season about how to just create new pitches, um, add new pitches, and really just allow guys to change the slightest thing to just get a little bit better. So like the combination of understanding seam orientation, how it affects ball flight, and then also biomech, obviously, like it's the same idea, like just finding the more optimal strategy for a guy to move on the mound in order to improve pitch quality, which ultimately helps us dominate the zone, which ultimately helps us win games. So it's it's really cool. Um, we have some awesome groups of people that are putting together things that I think are unique to the industry and it lines up with how we apply things already. So it's, it's, we're not creating new systems. We're just finding ways to enhance our systems with these new, with this new set of information. I feel like every time we talk to Trent Blank, we end up with a new term and seam orientation is the term that I am pulling away from this conversation. So are, are we talking about, like the ball in flight and how the seams interact with the air. Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Ultimately, yes, but it's that starting point. So how it just starts in the hand. And so we have information, not just on our pitchers, but on every pitcher in the league. Um, and our analysts and our baseball projects groups are creating really cool tools that allow us to predict ball flight. Um, so predict the shapes that are coming out of hands, um, tell us what's capable, um, with the current spin profiles they already have. And it's, it's really cool stuff. It's, it gives you the answer almost with like you, you have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. Um, it's not that simple, but it's getting closer to, um, I guess, shortening that gap between like guessing and having a really good idea of what's going to happen. Trent Blank is our guest. He's the Mariners director of pitching strategy. Because I have nothing better to do today, Trent, I was looking at the season by season historical league averages for offensive players in Major League Baseball. And last year, the uh, league batting average was 248, which was up, right? There's no, no shifts anymore. Obviously, the commissioner's office tried to bring offense back into the game. So think about this. 248 was the league average batting average last season. In 2000, the league batting average was 270. Now, there's a lot going on in the 2000s, right, in Major yep. League Baseball. But when I hear you talking about all these things, if people want to know, hey, so what's going on with offense these days? Why are they not hitting 250, 260, 270? Have you just answered all of those questions? I mean – the amount of tools that pitchers, pitching coaches, people in your profession have at their disposal that are endlessly growing. I mean, this is like you've weaponized pitching. Is this what it feels like? Yeah, and it, it's it's tough. Like I know the game obviously changes every year in a, in a different way, um, but the types of arms that are coming up through the draft, there's probably a little bit more talent there. There's more velo. There's 
this deeper understanding of seam orientation, how it affects like affects movement. Um, we got biomech tools. We have new strategies that people are, haven't really tried before, but like are starting to become more mainstream. And I think each year, each team is finding different ways to just keep taking a chunk out of the hitters. Um, and I also think the hitters have different strategies now too, that are leading to those, those lower numbers, but ultimately it, it is a, it's a evolving game and I'm, I'm not sure if we'll ever see those numbers again. Um, well, and it, it does feel like a little bit of an arms race too amongst the teams yeah. and the, the data departments and the pitching coaches of who, who can be on the very cutting edge. Does it feel like that as you're in the driver's seat of this? Yeah, it's like, we feel like we're, we're kind of, we don't know where we're at on the, that edge, but each year we're trying to find like that 1% idea that's just going to allow us to either win a count a little bit more, produce less damage. The amount of detail that goes into like, just think about whenever there was the shift, we still have shifting information. It's just a little bit more restricted now. Um, I don't know where that line is, but it is exciting. Like I feel like each year our group is finding ways to still take chunks out of it. And I, like I, we're not complacent. Our entire pitching group is it. We challenge things that we've been doing and that we're always looking for new ideas that could potentially be the next step in baseball. And I think you saw it last year, like the two seam evolution for our group, the splitter evolution, like the sweeper thing we we've already been doing for a couple of years. Like there's, and there's other teams that are doing these um, strategies as well. But um, I think I, what I like about our group most is we are willing to, I guess, challenge the stigma of what might be out there already and continue to look for new and innovative ways to just get a little bit better mm -hmm. while also keeping keeping it really simple at the same time. You know, along those lines, we had a con great conversation with Bryce Miller last week talking about the splitter and he was so thoughtful on splitter and tunneling and it just great description of everything going on. How much are you involved in what happens in the off season and with a rehaul in some respects like that? And a similar thing that Logan Gilbert went through for a, a couple of off seasons, uh, changing his arsenal and how he goes about things. How much are you involved? How how closely are you monitoring what's going on in the offseason? We try to not like miss a beat, like coming out of like even um I remember his last bullpen in in T Mobile. Like we were talking about what we were gonna do this offseason. Like what are the, where's the holes in his arsenal? What are the things we can improve on? What are the things we want to keep strength? Where do we want to keep his strengths? But obviously technology's helped a ton and he's pretty active on Twitter. He likes to take videos of everything. So each week we're communicating what, like what's his workload for the week? How much is he long tossing? What's the plan in bullpens? And then we also have um, a player plan process in the off season where we sit down with the guys, we review the previous season. We talk about what we want to attack this off season and then where we want to be during spring training going into it. So yeah, like I said, a lot of, a lot of communication, a lot of video, and also just like his, his will and his drive to want to get better. I think it's, it's like that with all our guys. Like I think last year our group on paper was really good. Um, but a lot of them still felt like there was more, more in them and more they wanted to accomplish. So I think Bryce is a good example of that. And, but yeah, just constant communication. And it, it almost feels like, like whenever he walked in the door, um, a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like we didn't, yeah, it seemed like we'd been together the whole time. Mm. So we're talking with Trent blank. He's the Mariners director of pitching strategy. 
It is funny. You're going back to some of your earlier comments about dominate the zone. You're right. The, the Mariners haven't moved off that messaging, whether it's Scott or Jerry or Justin or the pitchers themselves or the hitters from that perspective. How do you get a young pitcher in particular to just throw it over the plate? Yeah. Um, there's not any one way. Like we have our simple like message of what it is, but part of it is like improving their stuff. Like, and like we said, like with all these new, new tools and all these, um, with a lot of really good people that are in our pitching department, we find ways to not just create like fake confidence away. We give them like real stuff to work with that allows them to be really aggressive, um, knowing that good things will happen. I think there's a lot of momentum behind our mess messaging now, just noticing last year, like I want to say, Justin said the other day, our, our group, it's the youngest group. It might've been the best OO like strike percentage in, in the history of baseball. And it was one of the youngest groups to do it. And just to have all these different success stories of like Gabe Spire, like Drew Steckenrider, uh, Paul Seawald, like these guys that just really bought into the idea of like, I'm going to challenge hitters in the zone um, and good things will happen. Baseball will happen at the same time, but as long as, as long as we're continuing to do that and we continue to have the success that we, we think is pretty stable, it makes that messaging really easy to, to the younger guys that are coming through our system. Coming into spring training, you always have a number of new arms, anything from a Gregory Santos, who's been in the majors that, you know, is going to be part of this bullpen to minor league free agents that are trying to get a piece of the bullpen. Like how does the process work when you're talking to these guys for the first time? Well, it starts long before we talk to them for the first time. Um, our, our minor league coaches, our strategists, our analysts, we already have a ton of information on them. We've already worked through some mock player plans. We've already worked through like, hey, these are the five goals that we have for this guy. Like, let's whittle it down to three. Um, and then this is where Woody is just a wizard. Like, whenever he sits down with these guys for the first time, it's a conversation. And it is a lot of these guys will come out just – just a different mindset completely. And it's just one conversation, but there's a way in which Woody empowers guys, um, brings confidence and just has a real, like, I don't know. It's an infectious confidence and an infectious person that it, it leads to like almost the, I don't know. It leads to what you've seen on the field the past mm -hmm. four or five years. But in that conversation, you have Woody, you have our analysts, you have skip, you have uh, our middle skills coaches, our, High performance group, everyone's contributing, everyone's getting on the same page and we'll attack that plan for the, until we reach the goal or until we need to deviate. And it's, it's, it's really, we take a lot of information we condense it down to a couple simple bullet points and it's, it's been pretty successful. And our, I, that's a credit to like, I think Andy McKay bringing that process into, a, into our um, organization. I couldn't help but notice uh, when I mentioned Gregory Santos, uh, I could hear the smile on your face. I, I imagine you're pretty excited about the addition of Gregory Santos. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think of like the types of arms and types of pitches we have in our bullpen currently. Um, whenever you're talking about Matt Brash's slider and Munoz's slider and their two seams, and then you add a guy who you don't know who's at the top there between who has the best sinker, who has the best slider between those three. And I, I just can't imagine rolling those three out on a given night. It's, it's, it's fun to watch. And like, he's thrown a couple bullpens for us and it's not just stuff. Like he's, 
he's dominating the zone in bullpens and it's it's it seems like he's going to fit really well Brent Blank is the Mariners director of pitching strategy since you brought up Pete Woodworth Mariners pitching coach you know you filled in for Woody a little bit last year he had to uh leave the team uh, for just a short period of time uh celebrating the birth of a child Uh, give us a little self-scout Trent. Self-scout. Self-scout. Yeah. How how was Trent Blank the pitching coach? And I'm specifically talking about mound visits. Yes, uh, particularly on mound visits. It'd be interesting if we went back and checked tape. Um, I was told that I was told that my jog is is solid. Um, it was it was a good pace. Um, I stopped running at the right time, and then as I'm approaching the mound, uh, the first one I believe it was with. I think it might have been Logan. The only, the one thing I think is I barely got into the circle. I want to say it was like Cal and him were up on top and I was probably standing just on the edge and yeah, um, that was the big flaw as good as my, my jog and my timing of when to start walking was I failed at where I should be on the mound. Mm-hmm. So I made adjustments and then I got in really close and nice and tight with uh, Marco. So I think, yeah, it was a learning experience for me, but yeah, I, is that is that when I heard Marco on our field mic go, "Hey, man, a little personal space, back up for a second. Yeah, yeah, he could smell what I ate that day. <laughs> I mean, but, did you did you study Pete a little bit when you knew you were going to be taking over the reins? So just to kind of see some of these landmarks as to where you should start and stop. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Pete's a he's he's done it a couple more times than me. I've I t- in that week prior, I did study it. I did kind of like talk to him a little bit about what are you going to say here, like little things here and there. Um, but I do the main thing that stood out is my jog is better than Woody's jog. Oh, yeah. His shoes are better. Well, uh, nobody's got better shoes than Pete. Yeah, they're, his shoes they're, are better. they're 80 grade. You do bring up an interesting point when you talk about speaking to Pete ahead of time before he left for a short period to find out what he would talk about. Uh, we, we probably we're so used to it. Mount visits that I think unless it's a critical point late in a game where you say, Hey, what is it? What are they saying right now? Is it uh, mechanical? Is it strategy? Is it mindset? Like if you were to paint with a broad brush, what's the typical mound visit like in terms of information, tenor, tone, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. I think the thing that surprised me the most is how much of a conversation it is. It's not necessarily the pitching coach talking. And maybe it was just because I was out there. Even like watching Woody, like it is coming from the catcher. It's coming from the pitcher, what they want to do. And I think Woody is Woody's probably the best at just knowing when to make it about strategy or when to make it about um, mentality. But yeah, they, the art of the the mound visit would be a really interesting thing to dive into. Like if you could go across the league and talk to each pitching coach. Hmm. There's our next idea, Gary. I know that's actually that's a really great idea. Maybe we do a maybe a podcast with Trent. You know, maybe we we strike this up next off season. I like it. Trent, this has been wonderful. We uh, enjoy our annual chat with you here on the hot stove, and we, we can't wait to see you in person down there in Arizona. Thanks for joining us tonight. Sure. Thank you, guys. Our thanks to Trent Blank, the Mariners' director of pitching strategy. Always fun to have Trent hop on the program each and every winter. When we come back here on the hot stove show, we are joined by Mariners' infield prospect, Ryan Bliss. Fun conversation straight ahead after this timeout. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back. It is the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And man, we're really looking forward to this one. Our first chance to catch up with Mariners infield prospect Ryan Bliss, who came over 
and the deal at the deadline last summer with Arizona. Ryan, it's wonderful to be with you. Thank you for joining us tonight on the hot stove. I'm glad to be here, guys. Thank you. You have been through uh, a lot since uh, last <laughs> summer, right? You've made an organization change. You've become one of the Mariners' top prospects now. Uh, you went through the fall league. Now you're getting ready for your first spring training as a Mariner. Walk us through uh, what, at least from the outside, seems like it could be a bit of a whirlwind since that deadline in the Seawall deal last uh, last July with Arizona. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a crazy, I don't know, I guess six to seven months in the in the past. It's been it's been really good though. Um, you know, the process and the transition has been really good. Um, you know, the Mariners have been really, really communicative and really uh, accepting of me everywhere. And um, I've been I've been very uh, happy about where about how it's been going so far. Um, you know, the trade happened at right at the deadline, uh, right after I got promoted to AAA. So I'm just now putting getting my feet wet in AAA. Then I have to go to a whole new environment, a whole new organization, whole new scheme. So that it was a it was a really crazy it was a really crazy few months. And then after that, I had to go play more baseball in the fall league with great competition. So it, it was the summer was a lot, but I think it did nothing but prepare me. And um, you know, I'm very happy about what everything. How has the transition gone to the new organization? So far, so good. Uh, the manners are awesome. Uh, the, I couldn't ask for anything else. Uh, they're, 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 they're great. Um, you know, of course your first trade, um, especially so young into your professional career, you don't, you don't know what to expect. You, I think a lot of people, a lot of guys I know for myself is like, you can't, you hear it all the time. You know, you're gonna, you could be traded. You're not just playing for one team and you don't think it could be you and until it is, and it kind of shakes you up a little bit. Uh, it, but the transition has been, has been smooth. It's been great. Uh, when I got to Tacoma last year, you know, the, the clubhouse was great. All the coaches, all the, the coordinators and everybody in the front office was really good. So, you know, I'm excited. Was your story of finding out that you'd been traded a dramatic one or was it a ho-hum you had been traded? No, it was very ho-hum. I, I mean, I was in my, I was in a robe and I think some of my pajamas and some slides and I was outside enjoying the day. It was an off day. I just got done eating. I remember like it was, just, it was an off day. I just got done eating a sandwich, I think, like a homemade sandwich. And I'm just sitting there about to enjoy the off day and then, get a call that I'm getting traded. And then I was no longer an off day. I had to go pack, uh, get all, all my stuff had been shipped out to Sacramento. So I had to f figure out how to get it from Sacramento over to Houston. It was, it was, it wasn't off day. I'll put it like that, but it was, it was good. It was good. It's the right. real life aspect that fans don't see from the outside, right? It's uh, your whole life is turned upside down for a few weeks. You got to find a new place to live. It's all the stuff that's thrown into it that people don't quite see. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, you got to find, you got to pack for one. You just, all your whole, your whole house is, is, is unpacked and you had to repack within a matter of a, a night, less than 24 hours, get shipped out and find a new place to play, learn a new teammates, learn a new coaching staff, learn new personalities. It's definitely different. Um, it's not as, it's not as easy as the outside house. Like I'm, maybe a lot of outsiders don't know exactly what it looks like, but it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a pretty hectic time, but like I said, it's always a good time. We're joined by Mariners infield prospect Ryan Bliss here on the hot stove. Let's talk about you on the field a little bit, Ryan. First of all, I say infield prospect because I don't I don't know what I should call you. Are you a second baseman? Are you a shortstop? Where is your greatest level of familiarity defensively? Uh, I think what you said is, is, is accurate. I'm an infielder. Um, I wouldn't specialize myself anywhere. Uh, I've played a lot of innings at short. I've played now I would say that I've gotten – um, some credible innings at second with last year um, playing almost a full season at second. So, and I'm still learning to get the position at second. I, I'm not even close to 
fully fully saying I'm mastered the position by any means. Uh, but I do feel confident over there and also feel confident at shortstop. That's where I came up as. That's what I played my whole life. So I would just just call me an infielder. Um, you know, uh, I wouldn't put, put a specialization on anything, but, you know, I'm going to be out there. I'm going to make the plays. And wherever I am, you know, I'm going to be the best infielder in that position. For men of fans that have never seen you play, how do you describe yourself? For sure, a spark plug. Uh, spark plug type player. Uh, you'll see a lot of high energy. Um, you know, I definitely want to be the guy that uh, hopefully at the top of the lineup is going to spark, may spark, even spark the game with occasional power. Um, you know, a lot of people, I guess, see me, see my statue and um, sometimes get surprised about the, the pop that I could I could have. And I think that's where the spark is, the little spark plug. Um, definitely going to see me running some bases. So I think, you know, that's, that's, the, best, that's the best thing I can say is a spark plug. That's the type of player I am. I'm glad you mentioned the power. Are you a power hitter, man? I mean, you slugged over 500 at a couple of different levels, obviously for two different orgs last year. 23 homers, 55 bags in total. Where did the power come from that we saw on display last season? Yeah, I wouldn't even call myself a power hitter. I think that I just got lucky with some doubles that went over the fence. And, um, you know, you could say that. You could say that, but... The power has just, as I got older, um, not the biggest guy. I mean, definitely had to, uh, physicality had to get up, go up a little bit. So I think it's just as I get older, get my body ready and get my body more in shape. I think that's helped me for sure. Definitely made some swing adjustments after the 2022 season that kind of helped me incorporate the power. I wouldn't say I went looking for it. I never went looking for it. I, honestly, I never expected myself to hit 23. I didn't, that wasn't a goal for me. The goal for me was to go out there and lead the league in hits, lead the league in doubles, go out there, steal some bags, you know, be, be that type of player. And I think the power comes from just great swings and, you know, these guys are throwing hard. So sometimes when the ball comes in 99, it leaves at 99. And I think that's just, that's just what happens. <laughs> so LaGrange, Georgia. Now the Mariners have, a pretty proud connection with LaGrange, Georgia. Mike mm -hmm. Cameron, of course, that's Mike his Cameron. hometown. Yeah. Have you had a chance to connect with Mike Cameron yet and talk about LaGrange? Uh, I talked to him very, very briefly when I was in uh, T-Mobile for the Futures game. Uh, we never got around to LaGrange, Georgia, but coming up, playing in LaGrange, that's all I heard about was Mike Cameron, Mike Cameron. And um, obviously he's a phenomenal player, great player, great Mariner. So yeah, I've definitely heard that, and I know and I know he's from the Grand Georgia. So you know we got a couple ties from that city in Seattle. We're talking with Mariners infield prospect Ryan Bliss. You mentioned the Futures game. I mean, little did we know at the time you were representing the Diamondbacks mm -hmm. organization. Then that was before the trade. Uh, you come to one of the most beautiful ballparks in baseball and get to play with prospects like Harry Ford, who's been on the show this year, who's a part of that game. Uh, the weather was beautiful. The crowd was great. Now, what are your memories that you take away from the Futures game at T-Mobile Park? Oh, my gosh. The Futures game was – it was something out of a movie, literally. I, I, don't, I don't say that to be cliche. I mean, I, I, I coming from – I played in 2022. I played in the Pacific Northwest. I was in Oregon. And apparently it was like the rainiest – wettest spring in in the in, in all of Oregon history. So my perception of the Pacific Northwest and up there, it was just gonna be rainy, gray, cloudy everywhere. Totally wrong. Get there in the summer, it's beautiful. The city's beautiful and T Mobile Park is probably the Mecca of, it has to be the Mecca of MLB baseball. It's beautiful. And you know, it's crazy that that happened. Um Leaving there, my family and I were just talking about how much we love Seattle, how cool it would be to play at T-Mobile. Just, just talking, like just talking. 
two weeks later, get the call. I'm going to see our manor. So it, it was a pretty cool, it was a pretty cool thing. Uh, the future game was amazing. Uh, at the time, didn't really know Harry Ford and didn't know that I was about to be a potential teammates with him. And, you know, I'm just, it's just, it's crazy how life turned around and it comes together. Yeah. Harry, another get- Georgia guy. Yeah, he is another Georgia guy uh, from Marietta, I believe. Um, and yeah, when I met him, we talked about it, and we have a lot of connections just because of the game of baseball brings you so close. And baseball's so big in Atlanta that we just know people from here, people from there. So it's pretty cool knowing that I got another Georgia guy right there with me. Did you get a chance to look around the city at all while you were in town? Yeah, I did. Uh, went to Alki's Beach, loved it. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, didn't take the ferry. That's my next. That's on the bucket list of Seattle things to do. But we did get the chance to go around. I didn't. I think the needle was under renovation in the summer or something like that. So I didn't get a chance to go there. But I did float around. Alki's Beach is really where I really got to go and for a whole day and really see some sights. It was beautiful around there. So I loved it. You went to Auburn, and your career there was phenomenal. How much did your time at Auburn? really change you as a baseball player into what you are today? It flipped me, 180. I truly believe, and I will say this to forever, I was. I think the decision for me to go to Auburn to play baseball was the best decision of my career in my life. Um, I wasn't a very physical kid out of high school. I was, I was athletic, I was, I was gifted, but I didn't have I didn't have the baseball IQ. I didn't have the fully, I didn't have, I wasn't, to the to the to the level that I knew I wanted to get to, and I think going to Auburn, um, Coach Bush Thompson, Gabe Gross, Carl Nunnemaker, they were great. Um, I give kudos to those guys. I will all forever give them their grace. Um, they were doing an excellent job over there, and um, they, you know, they. I think they helped me with my career and just being learning how to play at a high level consistently, learning how to go about my day as a professional or as a baseball player. I think those are the couple things that I needed and that I got from Auburn. Does everybody who comes out of the SEC? Everybody just sick of Vanderbilt? Sick of them. Yeah, they win too much. I mean, they win too much. Their uniforms are cool. You know, it's just it's good baseball oh. over there. So, yeah, it's just good baseball over there. So you want to beat them. And uh, I give credit to Tim Corbin over there. I mean, he's, he's, he runs a good ship. And it's no, it's no, it's no joke that there's no – no. you see why they, they lead in the mecca of SEC baseball. You see that. And everybody wants to live up to that. And I, I think that's no surprise. I think anybody will say that in, in, around SEC. I really thought you were going to ask his feelings on the University of Alabama. That's what I thought you were going to ask. Well, I, I mean, we I just know won't what talk that's about that. I know what that's. Yeah, going yeah, yeah. We just don't even need to talk about that. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> we're talking with Mariners infield prospect Ryan Bliss. We'll have more of this conversation coming up after this quick break. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports, presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. The Hot Stove Show rolls along. It's Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. Joined tonight by Mariners infield prospect Ryan Bliss. You remember the National Honor Society in high school? I was, yeah, I was. Like, remember uh, what is that? Years. What is that? Yeah. Like, see, they're the normal. Gary and I are normal people, right? <laughs> no, we're normal people. Okay, <laughs> like we play a normal level of sports in high school. We get a normal level of grades in high school. Okay, and then we go on to do normal things. Um, like we don't mm-hmm. go on to commit to play at Auburn and then become a senior class president <laughs> and National Honor Society. Like, what clearly academics uh, meant a lot to you. Uh, w- tell me about your family background and how that helped you uh, become the person you are today. No, hundred uh, percent. My family is everything. Uh, mom, dad, grandmother. Uh, you know, they they 
they raised me right. Um, they raised me really well. I, you know, I think our values as a family in general um, has helped me become the man I am. Uh, everybody in my family has a degree, every single one of them. Um, I'm literally the only one that do not that does not have it, and I will be going to get to finish my school eventually. At some point, right now, it's a little hard with no online classes. You got to figure that out, but I'm one year away, so I will get that. But, you know, early on, they made it a staple that you will you will succeed in academics um, and you will be good. And they kept saying that this academics correlates exactly to the baseball field, the way you handle yourself. So I think I just give kudos to them uh, just the way they, they parent and the way they, they ran this family. And um, you know, I just wanted to make them proud. So, you know, academics was a big thing to me. As a mem- uh, member of the national honor society, what comes with that? Is there a plaque? Is there, <laughs> There is a plaque. Yeah, (laughs) there is a plaque. Um, (laughs) There is actually a plaque. I think we had maybe one or two meetings about National Honor Society, but really I think it was just the way, I think it was just, it came down to your grades, your GPA. It was more of a accolade than anything. Um, You know, National Honor Society, I think you had to have a certain type of GPA or something. I can't remember the guidelines for it, but um, you know, once you got in there, you got a plaque and you could say that you're a national honor society. So I, I think that was a pretty, at the time I thought, I still think it was a pretty, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. We're like on your own scouting scale. Were you the coolest guy to go to those meetings? Oh, I had to be right. <laughs> I had to be in my mind. I was, I may have not been, but in my mind I, I was, you got to believe it. So. <laughs> hey, we haven't really touched on you as a base stealer yet, Ryan, but you obviously have got some wheels. How have you progressed in that department alone? It's so much more than just being fast, which is a gift that you have, but how have you become a better base dealer over the years? Yeah. Um, it is more than just being fast. Obviously the guys, obviously you have to be fast, but I think it goes more into it. I think it goes into knowing the game. Um, what's the situation? Is it the right time to run? Is it not the right time to run? Um, what's this guy? What's his tendencies? I think when you put all that together, you can become a smart base runner instead of just a base or base stealer instead of just a base stealer. I think, yes, I've been gifted naturally with, with speed. I think that's not a, that's not anything to, to hide, but I think what I've learned over the years is learning the game, you know, picking the right pitches or knowing when to go. I think that has a big deal in getting bats and being more and being successful at it. Um, I think just over the years, just being, just taking risks and learning the game, asking questions. I think that's pretty much how I progress and just watching others, um, you know, above me. Um, and in spring training, when you go into backup games, how are they still in bags? Asking questions, just being a sponge, you know, really, that, I think all that goes into being a base drill. And I think that's how I progress, you know, throughout these years. You alluded to your size a couple of times. And mm-hmm. you know, the one of the things I love about this game, and it's different than I think the NBA and the NFL, is like you see everyone from Aaron Judge to Jose Altuve and everything mm-hmm. in between. That's what makes this game great. But is that something you've had to fight through just the perception of size as you've kind of gone through your baseball journey through college and in the pros? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think there's you no know, need to sugarcoat it. Yeah, I mean – you see it everywhere. Like they the talk about my size. They talk about my stature, my frame. So yeah, it's something that I wouldn't say that I have to like beat the odds, but it's definitely something that I had to prove, um, you know, that I could play with anybody. I can, I can play this game just like, you know, Altuve, Altuve had to prove himself. I mean, it, it is, it is what it is. It's part of it. And like I said, I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, I had to defy the odds or beat the odds or, or really like, 
you know, show out. I just more of just like prove that anybody can play. It's more of anybody can play this game at any level, no matter the size. I think that's more of it. I just want to show that it, does, it just doesn't matter. Just go out there and play ball. You know, you know, if, if two guys have the same numbers, nobody's going to care what, what size they are. They got the same numbers. That's the way I look at it. So I think that's more of it. Two minutes left with Mariners infield prospect Ryan Bliss joining us here on the Hot Stove Show. What's the offseason been like for you? What have you been able to do for fun outside of getting ready for spring training? Have you had a a, a, a busy offseason in that regard? Yeah, it's for the most part, it's been pretty busy. Uh, you know, I got done. I finished some offseason pretty late, leaving the fall league. So I got done around November. Uh, was able to get, you know, some holidays in Thanksgiving, Christmas. Obviously, we went back. Uh, stayed out here in Phoenix. Went back to the South in Georgia, uh, visited my girlfriend's family, visited my family, uh, spent great holidays over there. And most of it was, was taken up by weddings, uh, wedding seasons, all my, all my friends and, uh, former teammates, you know, getting married. So I honestly, like I had a great all season seeing them and going to hang out with them for a weekend was a vacation. I, I know, uh, this is a big off season for me. Didn't really want to do anything too extravagant. So I think I, I, I would say I had a great all season. You know, it was pretty busy every weekend going, and traveling to different cities for weddings and seeing friends and, you know, old family. So it was pretty good. So what are your thoughts heading into your first spring training with the Mariners? You were at AAA last year. What are your thoughts coming into to your first one with the Mariners? No, I just continue to be you. I, I don't want to, I don't want to go out here and, you know, say, Oh, I'm on a new team. I, you know, here I am. I just, I'm just going to go and play baseball, uh, you know, be a good teammate want to build some relationships with all the guys, all my new teammates. You know, this is my first time seeing a lot of these guys, a lot of these coaches. Uh, so really just, you know, go in there, learn names, learn learn relationships, and, um, you know, just play the best baseball I can play. That's, at the end of the day, that's all I can do. Um, you know, I'm not going to go in here and overthink it. Just want to go play ball. And I want to be – I want to be – I want to be prepared in the most prepared for whenever I get that call to help the Seattle Mariners out in T-Mobile. I just want to be prepared that way I can go in there and, you know, help win some games. So that's, that's all I want to take care of myself. That way when it's, when it's time to come, you know, we could take care of businesses and, you know, go for a pennant race. Is there any reason or story or anecdote behind choosing number one? Showed up in my locker. It was there. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. I love it though. I, I didn't ask questions. Yeah, I mean, it showed up in my locker in number one. I'm not mad about it. So I mean, it's pretty. That's a pretty big time number, man. That's a pretty big time. It was yes. It it took. I lost a breath when I saw it. I trust you. Trust me. I I saw it number one. I was like, oh, that's it. Looks really nice. So <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> keep it that way. Aaron, you're a number guy. One has to be fast, right? Oh, you, I mean, you're not a. You can't be a plotter. Yeah, you can't be a plotter and wear number one. There's no I agree chance. With that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it works. I think it works. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's a real, there's a real scout scale that has to have. Like you got to have a certain look to wear number one. I mean, there's no question. I agree. It's just it's literally one stick on the back. It has to, you have to fit the part. I feel like you, I feel like you have to fit the part to wear number one. So we'll see. We'll see if I fit that part. We'll see if I fit that part. Ryan, this has been a blast, man. It's wonderful to yeah, it's good. finally have a chance to talk to you in person and uh, learn a little bit about you. And we can't wait to watch you in person this spring uh, as a member of the Mariners organization. So thank you so much. Yeah, guys, this is great. Uh, you know, I'm excited for spring and, um, you know, talk to you guys soon. Our thanks to Ryan Bliss, Mariners infield prospect. He's played short. He's played second base. And we will be seeing him, you'd have to imagine, in Seattle at some point in the not too distant future. When we come back here on the Hot Stove Show, we're joined by the Mariners' VP of High Performance and Medical. And that's right, he oversees everything in the trainer's room and beyond. Really fun conversation straight ahead with Rob Scheidegger.
after this quick timeout. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back. It's good to have you with us tonight on the Hot Stove Show. And, man, making his Hot Stove Show debut, we are joined by Rob Scheidegger. He is the VP of High Performance and Medical. If we had a round of applause track, we would play mm-hmm. it right now. Rob, welcome to the program. It's great to have you. Sarah, it's great to be here. Uh, like like we say, long-time listener, uh, first-time first time caller. And it's happy to be on the show. Um, just always really enjoy you know listening in your guys' perspective. So happy to have the opportunity to be on here and share a little bit about what we do. Oh, man, it's great to have you. Thank you for that. Let's start with what you do, Rob, because you are the classic behind-the-scenes guy, and yet your plate has to be enormous. Let's just break down the fundamentals of what the vice president of high performance and medical does for the Mariners. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a big role. Um, obviously I'm a, I'm an athletic trainer by trade. So, you know, came up through the ranks, um, in my career as an athletic trainer. Um, but, but when I came over to the, to Mariners, we're really trying to modernize our approach to taking care of our players, giving them the tools that they need to be healthy and perform at their very best. And so my, my job, you know, coming in was to build programs and systems and bring staff and put them in place um, to create that environment, to create the resources, to create the, the um, everything we need so that our players can stay healthy and perform at their best. So we supervise through through our system. We have a couple of different departments that make up, you know, a lot of people ask me right away, like high performance, they'll see that in my title or in our department list. And like, what does high performance mean? You know, like, obviously we all want to be high performers or perform, you know, what does that mean exactly? And essentially those are all the departments that serve our players from a health and and performance standpoint. Uh, We really have broken off into a few groups. Um, Strength and conditioning falls into that category. The athletic training group falls into that category. Our rehab and return to play folks, which are physical therapists that that take care of all of our injured players. Um, Our sports science team, uh, dietitians and nutrition, and our, our mental health group. So big, big group of people that are working really hard to take care of our players and give them all the resources they need to perform at their best. You have been at this for a long time. We'll talk about your journey in a bit too, but how much has your field changed from the time you started to what you're experiencing right now? Yeah, it it kind of fits with my role with the Mariners because really the reason why I'm here is to, to progress our field forward. And I think our department is, is, you know, one of our philosophies is just always in a state of constant improvement. We're always trying to work to, to make things better for our players and and do things in a, in a better way. Um, but, you know, I started, I was super fortunate. I've been in the athletic training um, field for a long time. I started off in baseball. My first jobs I, were in baseball as a, as a young sort of student athletic trainer, uh, working my way up. I grew up in Yakima, Washington, uh, right there in South central Washington. So worked kind of, you know, around with some, some semi-pro teams. I worked with the Yakima, uh, chiefs, which was like a semi-pro college summer wood bat baseball league. It was kind of like my first real job in baseball, even though I wasn't a certified athletic trainer. And so, you know, the, the jobs changed so much and, um, there's been just so many people that have that have really like brought our profession forward from an athletic training and sports medicine standpoint, not to mention strength and conditioning, which is a field that was almost non-existent until just a few years ago. As a matter of fact, my first role 
in professional baseball, I was actually the strength and conditioning coach for in the Cincinnati Reds organization in the minor leagues. And I had virtually no sort of qualifications or experience to, to make me qualified to do that. Um, but I helped out as the strength and conditioning coach and really my role as the strength coach for double a Chattanooga, you know, back in 1998 was opening the weight room door and making sure no one got hurt. That was pretty much my role, you know, and the guys, we had a, a strength and conditioning coordinator that would kind of send out programs, but it, you know, it was, and now the things that we're doing in the weight room to, you know, prep and get our players ready for, for whatever they're going to do that day, whether that's, you know, playing in a game or, you know, in between their starts, how they develop themselves and keep themselves, you know, at their peak performance. It's, it's so sophisticated. It's, it's come so far. Um, and honestly, it changes every single year that the technology that we have to back up, you know, and, and create sort of a data scientific approach to the preparation and the things that we do and how we take care of injuries when they do happen. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's changing leaps and bounds and, and in, in really good ways that I think have been really beneficial to how we take care of players and the experience that they have. And, you know, I think the most famous example is sort of like the most common injury in baseball is, is sort of medial elbow injuries and in pitchers. It's can be really detrimental to careers and to, you know, seasons and both for individual players and for teams. And if you just look at how those injuries are handled, both on the surgical side with the technology and the techniques that our surgeons are using, and then on the rehab side with all of the different resources that we have to help get those players back safely and quickly and make sure that they don't end up back in the training room once we've released them back to play you can see that that it's come a long ways. Do you think the fact that you're super jacked helped you as a double A strength and conditioning coach? <laughs> you know, I got a funny story about that. Actually, I was super, I was like a super skinny kid and obviously not a big weight room guy myself. So, and uh, I remember one day I was walking by the manager's office. We, we our manager in double A was this guy, Philip Wellman. I, and he's kind of a, like a little bit of a legend in the minor league baseball managing. He's the guy who was famous for like that total blow up where he threw the grenade from behind the mound. when he was like <laughs> managing triple A. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Remember that scene? Yes. So Phil, Philip Wellman was unbelievable. And he was a great manager and someone who I'll never forget, like just an absolute legend. And it, every day, was kind of like that blow up. Like I know he's famous for that, but like every day was like that. The guy was just awesome to be around. And I remember one day after a game, I was walking by his office and I just had a towel on. I was going to take a shower. And from my locker, I had to walk by his office to, to get to the shower. And I was just wearing a towel. And uh I walked by his office and he was in there with our pitching coach. And he's like, Rob, he calls me. He's like, Rob, come back here. And he calls me back. And uh, I'm standing there in my towel and Mac or pitching coach, he, he points to me and goes, look at our strength coach. He's like, we're losing our jobs, man. Like, we're like, <laughs> he's like, enjoy this year. You know, it's like, we're, and I was, it was like a real confidence booster from, from the, from the skipper, you know, but we got through it, you know, and we actually had a good year and he made it to triple a and look where I am now. So, you know, what did he know? Well, not only is that a great story, it's our first ever grenade reference on yes. the Hot Stove Show. So as a first-time guest, you should feel very good about your contributions already. Glad to hear it. We are talking with Rob Scheidegger. He oversees uh, everything uh, medical-wise with the Mariners. He's the VP of High Performance and Medical, not just in baseball, but in the NBA as well. And I'm sure it's a factor in every sport. The buzz phrase, buzz term, load management has become such a thing, right? Trying to get in front of injuries. How do you as a department try to get in front of injuries without 
taking away from a player, right? Without going into Scott Service's office and say, hey, I know this guy looks good, but he can't go today. Like, what's the balance there? How do you do it? Yeah, it takes a ton of feel. You know, I think that that you have to, every everything that we do is just one piece of a puzzle. You know, the puzzle of load management, the puzzle of keeping players healthy and helping them to perform at their best. There isn't one secret thing. You know, there isn't one piece that's more important than anything else. The things that we do, um, we have an, we have an incredible crew that work behind the scenes in our sports science department, our director of sports science, Kate Weiss. Um, she's been with us now going into her fourth season. And I mean, you talk about someone who just works behind the scenes to give tools and resources to our other staff to help them make better decisions, you know, and, and really gets not a lot of credit for the hard work that her and her team do behind the scenes to give that information out. But you have to give it in a way that just helps the people who are making the decisions make better decisions, you know, and they might not always sort of agree with the data or agree with the things that they're being told, but the more you show the value in that data, the better those decisions are. And so, you know, obviously at the end of the day, from the major league level, all the way through, you know, the DR, the managers and the coaching staffs are the ones who have to really be responsible for sort of like load management. And, you know, when it comes to how we utilize our bullpen or what we do with our pitchers in between starts, position player workload is really, really important, but there's limiting factors to sort of how much rest you can give someone. And you have to have really good feel. You know, um, I saw a quote recently where, uh, you know, a manager was talking about load management and said he had a player who went like three for four with a double and two triples you can't go into the office of the skipper after a guy is on fire and went three for four and say, Hey, he ran a lot because he had a double and two triples. So we'd probably give him the day off tomorrow. The guy's red hot. Like that would not, you know, be a productive conversation, but maybe we talk through that through and say, Hey, he ran a lot yesterday. Maybe we get you take it a little bit easy, you know, at the first part of the day, or maybe we find other ways to adjust the other things that that particular player is doing to help sort of balance and decrease the chances that they're going to have these huge spikes, which have been associated with the increased injury risk. We know so much more about baseball and how everything works from the flight of the ball off the pitcher's hand to how hard guys hit the ball. And it seems like we're learning more every single day. Do we know that much more about injuries now than we used to? What, what does that progress look like in terms of injuries? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I do think we are learning more about injuries the one thing I know for sure, if you play sports, you are at risk of getting injured. You know, mm. it's just part of the game. The other thing I know for sure is that the benefits of participating in sports, both in the professional sports level, all the way through youth, all the way through, you know, our own kids playing sports far outweigh any risk of, you know, injury that is involved with participation in sports. Um, for us though, injuries mean decreased chances of performing well as a team. And that can cost us money. That can cost us, you know, the investments that we make in these players. Like we want to see that return. We want them to be out on the field. Plus my job is to make sure they have the best experience possible. And nobody has a great experience when they spend the season in the training room. It's a fun place. we got a bunch of great staff in there, but you want to be in there for movement prep and recovery stuff only. And so, you know, I think we've done a lot of work behind the scenes to try to figure out how can we use things like workload management? How can we look at um, one of our big investments right now that, that we've been fortunate enough to kind of dig into is biomechanics. Um, and so we're investing in technology that's helping us to better understand the movement of our sport, in particular pitchers, and help us to identify a bunch of different things. But 
you know, part of our initiative there is to identify when guys are going into movement patterns that may potentially increase risk so that we can, you know, have an intervention or so that we can bring that to the attention of our strength coaches and our athletic trainers and the other people who are in a position to sort of like intervene and decrease the chances that that is going to land a guy on the IL. So um, definitely something that we spend a lot of time looking into and, and we're learning every year. We're learning a little bit more. We're talking with Rob Scheidegger, the Mariners VP of high performance and medical still plenty more to chat about. Our conversation with Rob continues in just a moment. The hot stove show on Seattle sports presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Glad to have you with us tonight on the final hot stove show of the year. And we wind things down with the Mariners VP of high performance and medical Rob Scheidegger. Have you seen a shift in culture over the years, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, where the trainer's room is no longer seen as a place of weakness and a place of, man, you go in there and you could land on the injured list. You don't want to do that versus now it's getting in front of things, being preventative so that you can stay off the injured list. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the, the, it, it's, everyone always says you can't make the club in the tub and that has turned in, you know, used, that used to kind of be the old adage, like you can't make the club in the tub, you know, get out of the training room. Like, you're, you know, and I think what's interesting is it's almost flipped completely where it's like, you can't make the club unless you're in the tub and taking care of yourself. And baseball is the oldest professional sport in the United States. And we're a slow changing sport. You know, I think that's been my challenge in the role that I've had, you know, the opportunity to come in and, and help the Mariners with, which is modernizing our process for recovery, for preparing the schedule that our guys play. It's unbelievable. Um, a lot of my background was in football. Um, after my sort of early start in professional baseball, I ended up working a lot in some sports that have a, a more cyclical routine and baseball players have to be ready to play every single day. And so they're, they should be at the front edge of, of, you know, this sort of philosophy about how better to utilize the resources that you have to keep yourself healthy and performing at your best. Um, but we're getting there, you know, and it just takes a lot of education. It takes a lot of change. We're slow to change as, as a, as a sport, you know, um, we like our game the way it is, you know, we don't, we don't like changing the rules. We don't really want to do we, because the reason why we're, you know, I love this sport is because it's the same as it was when I was a kid. And I like that about our sport and I don't want it to change, you know, in a lot of different ways. And so a lot of people in this game are resistant to changing the way they think about things. But once you start to integrate nutrition, sleep, better recovery, better resources for prep preparing your body to go out and play. And you start to see the results both on an individual player level and at a team level, you just can't argue with the, the approach being the right way to go. What I love about this conversation is thinking about this from a fan's perspective. The only time they really see your group is the athletic trainer on the field, which is very much reactive to whatever happened on the field. But what is really what I'm taking away from the conversation and seeing your work behind the scenes is just how much proactive your job and what your group really does. Well, yeah. I mean, we want that to be the case and our athletic trainers are amazing. Uh, we're super fortunate. Uh, Kyle Torgerson's our head athletic trainer on the major league side. Um, and he's got an awesome team that, that is out on the field, but really there's two of those guys out in the dugout during the game. And there's six other people behind the scenes from the start of, you know, from, from noon on a 7 PM, you know, game day 
until 11 o'clock or the last people out of the building. And, you know, for most of our players, their day starts and ends in the training room. And so there's so many people working behind the scenes. The, the person that you see out on the field, they kind of rotate that through. That's like something that's really important. Obviously we want to be there and you know, provide that sort of first aid and, and that first level of care in the event that something happens during the game. But like you said, the strength coaches are back behind the scenes with our players, getting them ready for the game and helping to maintain their strength throughout the course of a really grueling season, the dietitians picking meals for our players and making sure that the meals on the airplanes and the, you know, travel meals and all the different things are good. Yeah. Like all that stuff. Um, the, uh, obviously the sports science crews gathering all that data and trying to disseminate it. Like there's so much happening behind the scenes. You see those two, you know, athletic trainers out on the field, but we have a staff our HP staffs, you know, 40 people deep, um, for the entire organization doing this work behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, Rob, as we're talking with Rob Scheidegger, here we go. <laughs> VP of high performance medical. I want, can I tell you a little before and after Rob? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Before, before Rob haagen bars on the plane after Rob, no more haagen bars <laughs> on the plane. Okay. Are you, let me tell you something. Media can have haagen You just, only get enough for me and Garrett and just get two. Yeah, because you're you're high performance. Think of us as low performance. <laughs> so that's what we are. A, I'll make some phone calls. Uh, I'll make some phone calls. I'll talk to the dietitians. We'll we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll get that going. We do have an ice cream machine in the home clubhouse. So I just want to say that uh, I'm not opposed to you know if you if you're doing the right things in the weight room. Thank you, Aaron. I I don't know what your like Clearly. routine is. If yeah, you're doing the right totally. things in the weight room and you're taking care of yourself and you're eating right, you can have a snack every once in a while. You can have it. You can treat yourself. So I'll talk to the dietitians. Maybe we'll get like a little stash and we'll keep that uh, behind the scenes for you. Really helpful. Uh, Rob, I do want to talk about you pre Mariners, because when you, th when, when somebody thinks about your career, your sports life, I mean, this is really cool, man. Like when you mentioned you're from Yakima and you come up doing you know, beer league, summer ball, right. And then you make it your way all the way to Seattle. You're at UW for almost two decades. You're working with coach Pete before you come to the Mariners. Talk to us about what you did on Montlake and how, how big of a role that was that led you to where you are now. Cause it's pretty awesome. Thanks for saying all that. I think, um, I, I feel, I look so fondly back at my time at University of Washington. It's such an amazing place. And I think the thing that makes the Mariners special are the people you know, at the end of the day, we have so such amazing people here that our leadership group really care about our community and creating the best experiences we possibly can for our fans. And the University of Washington was no different. We had such great leadership there during the time that I was there. And they really cared about the student athletes and creating great experiences and, and memorable experiences for the people in the community there. So super, super fortunate. Um, you know, my path to Washington was a little bit different just, just during my time there. Like I said, I was, I was a baseball person. I always saw myself working as an athletic trainer in the baseball world. That was always kind of my dream as I developed myself as a student and kind of worked my way through. And the job that I took at the University of Washington originally back in 2003 was I was the baseball athletic trainer and I was an assistant with the football team back then, you know, to get to Gary's sort of back to Gary's point, you know, we, we didn't have the resources that they have now. They've got an athletic trainer dedicated to every single sport. They have physical therapists. They got dietitians. I mean, I could go on and on and on the same type of investment that the Mariners have made in the health and performance of our players. They've done in, you know, just as much at the university of Washington to do that for their athletes. But back then I was the only athletic trainer for baseball. 
basketball and I was the assistant for football. So, you know, I would show up and do training camp with football, work all season as an assistant with the football team, and then go straight into baseball season as soon as football season was over, do baseball year round. And then, you know, have a, a month or so off in the summer to kind of press reset. And then by July we're, we're back, you know, cranking it up for football. And so, um, and I could have done that forever. I absolutely loved it. Um, getting to work with all the different sports there. It's one of the fun things about that setting and something that I missed, you know, you just see so many different types of athletes and, and people from different backgrounds and you get to experience that time in people's lives, which is a pretty, um, impressionable time. And you, you really get to be a part of a special time in a lot of people's lives. But um, had the opportunity after just a couple of years of doing that role, uh, our head athletic trainer for our football team left, and um, I was I was working baseball. Our head athletic trainer for our football team left, um, and it was Tyrone Willingham's first season uh, as the head coach there. He came in in the winter time, and so spring football is kind of a big deal. That and normally something that I didn't spend a lot of time helping out with because I was busy with the baseball team. But the head athletic trainer left, and so I I, I sort of stepped into that role for spring ball, uh, Tyrone's first year and just, you know, did what we did, which was work my butt off to make a great experience for those players and not let it affect the experience for the, for the baseball team. And it was a long, long spring. I was basically by myself with, with sort of some interns and like, we got through it. And, uh, at the end of that, at the end of that session, then, then obviously our idea was like, okay, we got to hire a new, uh, you know, athletic trainer to, for Tyrone to kind of take care of football and, and, Coach Willingham stepped up and was like, no, this is my guy. He freaked, he took care of us. I, I believe in him. And, and really, I hadn't you know done anything to deserve that opportunity and probably shouldn't have been in that role with the lack of experience that I had. But he believed in me you know, and gave me that opportunity. And I'm really thankful for that because I, I, I learned so much. Um, I was the head athletic trainer for the football team from 2005 all the way up until um, my last season as the sort of director for football was um, – 2019 2019 so when you when you watch jake browning take over for the Bengals this year and just like throw up one dub after another you're like i've taped that guy's ankles 1000 times <laughs> like, that's my yeah, guy sure. yeah it's funny like um you know one thing when you're in the role i'm in especially with uh, i kind of reference this a little bit with the collegiate setting you're really kind of a parent figure for them too right this is our first time away from home and we deal with that a little bit with our minor league players certainly but you know in the collegiate setting it definitely was that case so unfortunately jake had a couple of um you know injuries over the course of his time at washington and a lot of times his parents couldn't be there and so i would actually have him come in and he would recover from his surgeries at my house so you know, he's like part of my family for sure. Like he's, he's spent time, you know, hanging out on my couch, watching TV with my kids and, you know, taking care of my dog. So yeah. And and there's tons of stories like that with those types of players. So to see them having success at the professional level, it's always been one of the most rewarding things about that job. And you were a Mariners fan growing up. Absolutely. Yeah. We, um, like I said, we grew up in Yakima, so it's pretty good little trek to Seattle from, uh, from Yakima. Um, and we didn't have a ton of money growing up, but we would just beg my parents to come watch baseball games, uh, in the kingdom. And, uh, every once in a while we would get to come and we would sit up in the, in the upper deck. And I'll never forget the first time walking into the kingdom, the first game I ever went to, I mean, it just like blew my little mind that they played baseball indoors, you know, and just <laughs> like, and still to this day, when I go into a domed stadium, 
I feel that same feeling. And that's such a cool thing, you know, because just sitting up there with like my little ice cream hat, watching Alvin Davis and like Harold Reynolds and, you know, Jeffrey Leonard and like all of those guys. And then to have that evolve into the sort of like Jay Buhner, King Griffey Jr. era, and then to still sort of be a part of that and move into the, you know, Ichiro and all those awesome teams in the early 2000s. Um, And then during the time that I was working for UW, we would, you know, in the summer, we'd get all of our morning, our conditioning was done in the morning. And so Darren Nystrom, who is my longtime athletic training assistant there, who's now their head athletic trainer for the football team at Washington, he and I would come and we would finish our work and we would always go catch, you know, the Mariners game. We'd just buy cheap seats and go stand out in the bullpen. Um, so then to, to be able to have the opportunity to come in, I mean, like truly a dream come true for me to have the ability to come in and, and hopefully have an impact, you know, on the, on the organization and make it better for the players that have given so much to me over the years from just a, a, a value, like a life value standpoint. Um, it's, it's pretty special. It's pretty awesome. I hope I, I love that for other people too. Like when they get the opportunity to work for their hometown team, there's something really special about that. So I'm really thankful to Jerry and Justin and John Stan for the opportunity to do that. It's been really a dream come true for me, truly. Rob, this has been a lot of fun, and I'm so glad that you were able to carve out this much time to join us tonight because what you and your staff do behind the scenes, it's it's paramount to the success of the organization and just a major ingredient to the overall recipe. So we're so grateful for your time, all that you do for the ball club, and thanks for hopping on tonight. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate this show. I'm happy to have been on here. So um, thanks again. We'll see you around. Our thanks to Rob Scheidegger, the Mariners' VP of High Performance and Medical, a really unique perspective on the organization. Gary, that's it. That wraps up the final hot stove show of the year. That was a great ending. I thought I thought it was a great ending to a great series. I completely, yeah? I completely agree, Gary. Completely okay, agree. Good. good. Hey, we will talk to you again on Saturday for the Cactus League opener, and then a week from today the first Cactus League report. For Gary Hill, I'm Aaron Goldsmith. We'll talk to you on Saturday from the Valley.